You're listening to the Contract Heroes Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things contract management. And now here are your hosts, Mark and Pepe. Hello, everybody. And this is a new episode from Contract Hero, the first time in person. So yeah. we are the World Commerce and Contracted America's event at Phoenix with Mark and I. And in our first guest, we have Stefania Pacera. Uh, she is a contract design and visualization consultant at Pacera Design. So, Stefania, before we start talking about what you've you been doing right now within your business, like, can you in- introduce yourself and talk us a little bit on your background? So, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, probably I'm also going to be the only designer on this podcast okay. today. Uh, by training, I'm an information designer. Then I took uh, a very multidisciplinary route in my career. I I did a doctorate of science, writing my thesis on contracts, oh, wow. specifically on, on contract visualization, but I did so in a, in a department of organizational studies and industrial management. And how that happened? Like, why you decided to make it with, with contracts? Oh, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> how Steve Jobs says that you can only see your your personal history looking backwards and connecting the, the points backwards. So in the end, it seems like everything made sense. But I think I've always been driven by just wanting to do interesting things and bit quirky things and curiosity. So when there would be something that would puzzle me, like why no one is doing this and this thing makes sense, why no one is doing it, this, that would be my drive to do something. So uh, 12, 13 years ago, I met uh, Helena Hapio, who's a um, business person in the contract space, a contract coach, arbitrator, and also professor. And uh, she she's she's how I got into contracts because she was saying oh, I'm working with a graphic facilitator uh, in my trainings but I would like that the contracts themselves would be as engaging as when I do my trainings and my reply was like that sounds like information design and do you know why no one is doing it and that has become the the question that led me into academia and doing research and figuring out like okay can you actually visualize pieces of contracts can you actually use techniques from information design to make this this content clearer. So one thing led to another. I accidentally did my PhD on this and now for five years uh, I've been working as a consultant and a designer uh, in the space. Wow, that's yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think it's really something that's missing out there. It's a piece that not a lot of folks are doing or, or want to deal with. Uh, you know, when we work with folks, they, they kind of just bring those things to us and they kind of assume that part of the CLM implementation is going to include that, and, and it definitely does not. Um, so you know, it's it's super interesting to hear that that that's something that you're working on. And and you know, when you start working with folks, where how do you kick things off? Do you do you go through their their current kind of contracts? What, what does that look like? So usually, um, how it works, I I don't do cold calling. Usually, clients come to me. Mm-hmm. I have a quite I would say I have a quite a good uh, word uh, like. How do you say? Word of mouth, Word of mouth right. game going that's on. That's referral. <laughs> and as, uh, as one. <laughs> yeah. And th- that's why, like today, I invest a lot of time of, on, on doing fun and engaging presentations because that's the best marketing I have. Like, usually, then, like after today, there's going to be someone saying, hey, that thing really resonated with us. We have this document that gives us a lot of problems. It's slow to negotiate. We hate it. People don't understand it. We cannot engage business. There's usually some problems that end up in one of the same old, same old categories. 
uh, all known categories. And on that basis, you just, okay, show me the document and let's see what we can do together. Uh, usually they start from, from a pilot. So I think it's very rare. It, it never happened to me that a, a new client would come at me with a, with a suit of documents. Usually right. it's a um, learning journey also for them to know like, what are the, what is the potential of contract design? What, what does it do? So we do one project together and usually from there, uh, things follow up. And how do they decide, like, when they start doing the pilot? Is, is, is this, like, it depends on, like, with the volume of those contracts, like NDAs, perhaps? I mean, that's, like... Uh, not necessarily, uh, because the NDA is an is easy pick, but what I right. recommend to clients is, like, start from your real pain point. So, you know, it's always risk and reward. Of course, you don't want, perhaps, to start with your riskiest uh, agreement, but at the same time, if you start piloting on a document that is potentially going to have zero impact on your bottom line or on the satisfaction of your counterparties or of your internal people, you're not going to be able to really observe what contract design can do for you. So I usually, very often with clients, I, I guide them, I, I try to ask them questions like, okay, is there some document that you know you have pain points, people have been complaining, or it's slow to negotiate, or it's holding you back, or, you know, you have any reasons to know certified reason to know that it's horrible for some reason and let's start from there um a typical pattern for clients that do more than one project is either start from let's say their simplest uh document so for example for high volume solutions and then go on the other end of the spectrum and and take their super customizable 200 pages master agreement and usually when you map the very simple and standardized and the monster with all sort of options, you have enough learning to then, even internally without uh, my help, then start creating all the variations in between. There's going to be a lot of learning, not only, I mean, for everyone involved, really. Right. And, and how do you work? Because, I mean, we've been learning a lot, especially here in the world CC about the contract simplification, right? Because... The thing about contract templates is that most of the time only lawyers understand them, right? And a lot of the terms are like very legalese, but they don't put that much attention on the commercial side of the business, like the scope, you know, how, how are you going to get paid? Uh, do you see anything related on where do you put those clauses inside the contract or, or how do you handle those? So we are touching a, a topic that is close to my heart, which is information architecture. Nice. Which means, uh, which is basically how you are ordering and naming topics in, uh, in, in a document, in a, in a piece of information. And that's quite important in contracts. You can, I think that to make an engagement, engaging contract, you cannot start with all the legal rules upfront or okay. 50 pages of definitions. You have to put crucial commercial information upfront, at least if, if we're talking about commercial yeah. contracts. So everyone, even the busy executive who's picking up the contract can understand very quickly what's the beef and what are the key variables in that agreement and what is the reality, what, what is the real thing that we are talking about in these very abstract terms. There are some contracts that you may be reading, I don't know, 10 pages and you still don't know what it is about. Mm -hmm. 
And those are, I find those very, very frustrating. Those are the ones that I want to change and break and remake the most. Uh, so yeah, information architecture is really important. And uh, I, I have this rule of mine, like business first, like trying to put all the more operational stuff first, or depending on the document, it could even be uh, relational clauses, but basically bringing everything that is not simply dry boilerplate to the fore so people can understand what are we really doing here together? Right. And have you seen any kind of resistance from the legal side of the business when you start using like visuals inside the contract? Yes and no. I mean, contract design, I tend to, to think about it as a discipline, as a toolbox. And there's many things, many tools that you have in that toolbox. Some have to do with usability, some are uh, graphic design, some are drafting, some are many other things. So some clients are very comfortable with uh, using visuals. They they know because we tell them that we are not going to arbitrarily take clauses out of your contract and put a pictogram or put yeah. hieroglyphics. Usually uh, it's like a textbook, like a science textbook. There's the text and then there's a diagram mm -hmm. reinforcing and expanding uh, and iterating those complex con uh, concepts in a slightly different way. So you are... Uh, increases the chances that people are going to grasp those concepts. And I would say most of my clients are uh, quite comfortable with trying that. In very rare instances, there are some people saying, oh, no, perhaps we don't want to do that. We're okay with having a nice layout and dividers and uh, good typography and so on, but diagrams or icons, no, not really. It's not really us. And I mean, that's fine. There are many other things you can do. Um, you can still be all textual, I would say, if your contracts are not uh, excessively technical or excessively complex. If you have very good plain language, you can get away with it. In some other contracts where you have very complex mechanisms or processes, I would not recommend that. But, you know, it's a choice. Uh, ultimately, uh, it, it's up to my clients to make their own considerations in terms of risk management and tone of voice or where they are. I can only offer them the best options that I know are available right. from communication, design. And and how, how long does it usually take, how long does a pilot take with, with a customer to go through that process? I know it probably varies depending depends, on the, the volume of depends, contracts. It depends on the, on the document because yeah. there are some documents, you know, the short, let's say up to 5,000 words document that you can even turn it around in one month. Mm -hmm. And there are some master service agreements that you're working on for six months. Wow. Uh, not much because it takes, a, it takes us time to rewrite or restructure it, but because when you send the draft, it's going to give them ideas. Okay. And then they notice, ah, this thing doesn't make sense. We have to go and speak with, I don't know, Bob uh, from this department to verify what we want to do with this. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment... We realized that it didn't make sense. Thank you for making us realize that. Um, so you start changing the documents, but then it actually helps them to think like, is this really how we want to run the business? Does this rule make sense? Are we actually doing this thing or this thing is straight wrong? <laughs> That's not what we do. So yeah. why should we have it there? Um, often I'm working also with partners on trying to rebalance their contracts. So even before simplifying, we try to have an analysis of what are you saying and is this excessively protective and draconian or are you actually starting from a balanced place 
So in some cases, we are collaborating with TermScout, who have a oh, nice. very good yeah. capability to tell you, okay, are you market or mm-hmm. not? And that for uh, certain clients is incredibly valuable and it actually helps them in their strategy and in their choice to say, okay, this and this and this should go. It doesn't make sense. Or in other cases, it's like, okay, uh, we want this uh, this starting, this standard clauses, but we know that in 90% of cases we negotiate something else. It's like, okay, let's start from with your backup plan because, yeah, we can simplify the language, but then if there are other bottlenecks, Right. Um, I mean, it, it really goes hand in hand. The rebalancing and the design and also the automation, I would say, they're all different ways. And if you build one on top of the others, you're going to see like incredible t- uh, time savings and uh, deal velocity. Right. And especially like, I mean, now at the event, we have a lot of CLMs and when when companies are looking for a CLM, they want to talk about automation. But the thing is that it's very hard to automate complex contracts. So when you simplify them and put the commercial terms in a way that everybody can understand them, that they can just look for it, uh, maybe they're going to have some conditions, some we, we call like dynamic clauses. But when they're simplified, it makes things way easier. You can get the data easier. You can like the post execution of the agreement you you know what what's going to happen when i don't know somebody fails on their obligation on the contract because what we like to say is like contracts are the manual of all the commercial relationship either if, if you're on the buy side or in the sell side and if you want to keep that commercial relationship in uh in uh in peace or not peace but but you know like uh you you want to have like a long term with your customers and with your providers and I think that having easy to understand contracts is like the basic of everything else. Yeah, definitely you can automate complex contracts, but I think you're going to work against yourself first yeah. because it's garbage in, garbage out. Mm-hmm. So you're going to produce more crap at scale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you're going to entrench it even more because when you're doing a CLM inter- implementation, then you don't want to change that. So I think that when you're about thinking you know, upping your game and uh, using automation, that's also the right moment to have a very hard, honest look at your contracts and ensure that they make sense. That, uh, you know, for example, boilerplate ac- across different documents yep. is standardized because why Why do you need 70 different versions of the severance, I don't know, severability clause yeah. or uh, jurisdiction clause? Like j- just have one and use it in all your contracts as much as it makes sense. Um, yeah, you, you were correct. Having complex contracts, it makes it more difficult when you're doing automation. Uh, in my opinion, you cannot do self-service contracts if they're not absolutely clear and yep. uh, user-centric for, for the sales personnel. They have to be documents that they can pick up and run with it. They have to feel confident in negotiating, uh, even without the legal department. And you're not going to achieve that purely through automation. Right. Actually, it's going to work against your automation efforts if the document is a hot mess. Correct. And they will be confident that they will not represent a legal risk to take their own decision when they understand what is saying on the contract. Yeah, even at a meta level to know like, okay, what is this document about? Or how do I even answer this questionnaire to make sure that I get the right template that is the right right point? Sometimes the... Uh, the contract literacy is so low that even that, even that metacognition about contracts that 
meta understanding of okay what what is the right form uh is missing we know from research here at world cc that uh, uh that, that there's a scary high percentage of contracts that are based on the wrong forms yep like they start from the wrong template <laughs> and stefania how long does it take once you work on a contract with a customer for them to really see the value is it the first time that they start to work with that new contract with a customer that they can already kind of see that things are happening faster and and agreements are getting getting signed quicker it depends how how they're measuring uh i i say that this is um how to say this is a pain point because often with clients even when 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 i go in i ask them okay what is your what where's your data do you know what's your average time to close a deal or Oh, no, we don't know because we don't track. Right. Like, okay, uh, what's your guesstimate at least? So finger up in the air. So in, in some cases also that they're measuring if they don't have a system in the in, in the back is going to be a finger up in the air. But, you know, they may have other systems like Salesforce and so on. So in as little as three months or a quarter, their VP of sales may be able, if we're talking about sales contracts, to see a difference. Uh, there was this case with a with a client, um, Ecovadis. I can mention them. They were really happy to go on <laughs> record with this thing. Um, they managed to slash down their uh, their time to signature signature by fifty percent. Wow, that's a lot. They said, yeah, that's uh, good to help. They managed to yeah, they managed to increase the chances of starting the negotiation on their own term from one in ten engagements to fifty fifty. Wow. So plus forty percent, and that was a very um, sore point for them. They were saying, well, when uh, we, we're quite a straightforward SaaS solution, when we are hit back by a master service agreement that has nothing to do, it doesn't really depict reality. It takes us forever to negotiate it and it doesn't, and still doesn't make sense. And actually when the clients with this new simpler agreement, they realize that, okay, actually this solution is not that risky. Oh, there's a nice simple description of what it does, what it is up front. So now we understand that it's not risky. So we're going to look at the legal terms with a bit different perspective. Mm -hmm. It actually helped them uh, going faster. Uh, VP of sales also said that it helped him incredibly to, to forecast deal closures and know when revenue was coming in. Before he said he didn't have disability because it was too unpredictable. But then when contracts start working they start to be more predictable you know when the cash is going to come in and it really helped them growing for example in the u.s market and then they they liked so much this pilot because it was really a quick and dirty pilot that they started translating this new agreement in german french japanese and they started using it globally but they tested they were quite brave because i think they tested it in the u.s that was their uh, um, most difficult market for a variety of reasons contractually and when he said that it was working, they noticed that it was working there. They just rolled it out globally. That's very interesting because they can use like the same template in different jurisdictions and uh, and still works. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, there's usually some small tweaks that you may have to do. Yeah, of course. But, um, you know, I've been working a lot with Paula Doyle um, on this type of contracts and Paula in... Uh, her previous stages of her career, she she worked at IBM. She was leading the cloud function for Europe. So she's quite used in working in, uh, you know, demanding international settings. And she was saying, well, actually also the issue of localization, you, you can do most of business 
almost everywhere with the same terms. You may have to do small tweaks, but it's not even true that you have to localize them right. that much. If you do, if you make contracts that make sense and they're simple and they just have what they contain, then it's actually easier to add or take away what you need for a certain jurisdiction. Well, that's amazing. And Stefania, I really, we really appreciate it. It's been a topic that we've been willing to talk about, yeah. but I think like one of the main reasons we created the podcast is so we can ask things we don't know from the experts. So we really appreciate your time. And if people would like to contact you, what would be like the best way? I'll just Google me up or LinkedIn. <laughs> Awesome. We're going to there's put no, the link There's here. not that many Stefania Passer and contracts. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Very true. Very Easy true. to find me. All right, Stefania. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Ciao.